I have gum in my mouth. I'm sorry to any of you people who are paranoid about these sort of things, but the easiest thing for me to do right now is going to be to swallow it. So seven years, here we go. What month is it? August? Yes? This fine August evening, we are going to be continuing our series in the book of Mark. Mike spoke to us out of uh, Mark chapter 9, the beginning of chapter 9 last week. Um, Jesus doing his thing, doing some, some healings, doing some teaching. The passage that we're going to be in tonight is Mark 9, starting in verse 30 and going through verse 37. And it's a passage where we actually begin to see kind of a corner turn in a lot of ways as far as Jesus' work, his ministry, the sort of things that he's talking about. Um, up to now, uh, Jesus has been doing the itinerant ministry and, uh, and doing, as I said, teachings and healings and so on and so forth. Um, but there's, there's a sobering tone that is beginning to enter as Jesus is starting to look forward to, um, literally look forward to, not as in the sense of he's excited about, but look forward to his, uh, his death, his coming death, and then, of course, the resurrection. Um, so let's just take a look at Mark chapter 9 and uh, see what he has to say about that and what he has to teach about that. He begins to deal with that coming reality. Um, we're kind of moving here, but it says in verse 30, They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to human hands. He will be killed, and after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for your words as given forth in the scriptures. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and living amongst us and teaching us. Let us hear from you this evening. Let us take you seriously. Let us receive what you have for us at this place in our lives 
and be able to draw closer to you and follow you more completely through it. Amen. I could do that in the microphone if I want to get your attention, so just remember that threat is out there. As I said, Jesus wow, Jesus has begun to turn a corner as far as his understanding of what's going on and as far as his teaching of his disciples. He's beginning to tell them about what is going to be happening. And it's very serious. It's intense. You know, Jesus has been speaking in parables commonly to them, telling them stories with points, things that they need to get to the bottom of, things that they need to figure out. And they're always having to think and process and pray and work through things. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is very plain. And I think, frankly, it's confusing to the disciples. Because he just straight up says, I, the Son of Man, am going to be handed over to human hands, they're going to kill me, and then I'll rise again on three days, and they're like, what is he talking about? That doesn't even make sense. Was that, you know, is he speaking our language? What's going on? It's, it's straightforward. It's plain. It's simple. And so as they continue along the way, uh, for some odd reason, it just hasn't sunk into them, the gravity of this, or perhaps it has. I can't quite figure out exactly what was running through their heads, but somehow they allow themselves to get caught in what is essentially, or what appears to us at first glance, an incredibly petty, silly, ridiculously out of context argument, like, Jesus has just said to you, he's going to die, and now you guys are trying to figure out, like, who's the coolest. Who knows why they're doing this? But I can tell you uh, the context in which it happens, and perhaps that can make a little bit more sense of it for us. Because I think oftentimes when we think of roads, when we think of traveling from one place to another, it's very easy for us to just put our own comprehension of what that means out onto things. Like, to think a road is like Calamath out here. There's plenty of room to, uh, if there weren't cars on it, I wouldn't suggest walking on it now, but if there weren't cars on it, there would be plenty of room to walk on it. You could walk all 12 disciples next to each other like reservoir dogs or something like that. You know, <clears throat> everybody can, can just kind of chat and talk, and it, it'll work well. But in the situation that they find themselves in, it is very likely that the road that they were taking was one where they were probably having to walk single file. And it's also pretty unlikely that any of the disciples would have just come right up next to Jesus and walked right next to him without being invited because that would have been disrespectful to their teacher. So in that context, we've got 12 disciples who have to figure out who gets to be first, who gets to be second, who gets to be third, who gets to be fourth, you know, maybe when there's, uh, how many of you guys have done much hiking? You know, if, if you're feeling kind of ridiculous when you're hiking and you're, 
you're going down a mountain or, or up, and there's a switchback, and there's like kind of a little cutout that you can run up to get in front of somebody else as you're hiking. You almost can picture that sort of dynamic here where it's like, no, 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 I should be there. No. Hey, we were just on the mountain with Jesus. We should totally be in front. Hey, come on, man. You just spent time with Jesus. I should get up there. Like, I want to be closest to Jesus. And perhaps it came out of a very uh, natural, maybe even... Um, good intentions in the sense that I want to be as close to Jesus as I can be. If he's got something to say, I want to be the first one to hear it. I'm trying to listen to Jesus. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to be close to him. And so, apparently, they fight and they jostle and maybe they poke each other and run up switchbacks and do all sorts of stuff to try to figure out who is the greatest, because of course the person who walks closest to Jesus would be the best of them, would be the greatest of them. What's interesting, though, is when Jesus asks them what they were arguing about, they know that it was dumb. (laughs) What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. They knew that that wasn't something that Jesus was going to be into because, you know, they'd spent some time with him. They had learned from him, but somehow, and this is important for us, I think, somehow their knowledge of how he worked and what he was about and what he was trying to say uh, hadn't been able to translate into their action and their tendencies and their compulsions to be like, no, 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 I want to be here, I want to be there, you be here, you be there. there was a line that was formed behind Jesus of the disciples. And whether they realized it or not, when they formed a line behind Jesus, that meant as they walked behind Jesus, they were going to go where he went. They were going to do what he did. They were following him. Unfortunately for them, where he was going, or perhaps fortunately, truly, but where he was going, as he had just told them, was a place of sacrifice, was a place of ultimate, extreme giving. They lined up behind him and argued about who is the greatest, and Jesus was on his way to be the servant of all. So it comes as no surprise that he tells them. And interestingly, if you remember, if you were here last week, uh, Mike taught, and it almost seemed like Jesus had a really kind of intense, harsh tone at times. All of a sudden, we have a situation where these guys are being idiots, and Jesus called them together and says... No real rebuke, per se, that's recorded, but says, hey, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He just tells them how it is. And he tells them how he is doing it. The reality of the situation is the disciples were lined up behind Jesus, so they were going where he went. If we, and I really mean this, we have to search our souls a bit. If we think 
that Jesus is the greatest. If we want to follow behind him, if we think, you're a good man, if we think that Jesus is the greatest and we want to be great, then we will line up behind him and we will go wherever he goes. So they got something right in the sense that they lined up behind Jesus. We will do what Jesus does, and we will go wherever Jesus goes if we think that he is the greatest and we want to be great like he is great. And what he says that looks like is to be the last, is to be the servant of all. But those of us who have tried this have realized that that isn't particularly easy, is it? That path that we're walking along as we fall behind Jesus is difficult, is rocky, is hard. You want to you wanna get off it. You want to go somewhere else. Perhaps you don't even intentionally want to get off it, go somewhere else. You just kind of do because you can't seem to keep up. You can't seem to hack it. You can't seem to stay there in that place. You know, uh, most of the staff, except for the lucky ones, went to a conference on Thursday and Friday. Uh, it was the Willow Creek Global Leadership Summit in like 1,500 countries with like 60 million people or something. I don't know. Lots of people. They probably told us a bunch of times, all the people there. We went to this leadership conference where you had a bunch of people who were very important, who were very well-known, who were very successful, who knew what they were talking about, except for the one guy. I mean, everybody knew he didn't know what he was talking about, but. <laughs> who stood up there and told us how to lead. Told us what to do in order to be effective leaders. And honestly, some of it was sound. Like, I, I feel like I walked away from that conference with some things to think about and some things to work through. But my point here is this. I went to that conference years ago. I went to that conference this year. Um... I look at those people on that stage, uh, those very important, very knowledgeable, very well-known people, and I want that. I want to be well-known. I want to be important. I want to be influential. I want to be able to tell people, kind of like I'm telling you guys right now, <laughs> this is a good idea. Follow me. Like, I'm going to tell you how it is. And I struggle... I get confused with my desires in that. Like, is this a righteous desire to, to do this, to, to have this, to be well-known? Because, I mean, I can influence more people for good. Is this an unrighteous desire because I'm trying to be seen by people and maybe it's possible that I'm exalting myself? Like, it can be very confusing as we search for how to follow Jesus to sort out our desires and figure out you know, how can we be in that line behind Jesus and be in the appropriate position in that line? 
Because it's not as cut and dry. Jesus is very straightforward. But in, when it hits practical reality of life, it isn't as cut and dry as just like, oh, of course, I'll serve everybody. That's easy. No problem. Good call, Jesus. Thank you for pointing that out. Hadn't thought of it. Doing it. Are you guys, are you guys with me on this? Is this hard have, as you've tried to do this? Is it something that is difficult to consistently do and sort out what is good and what is bad? <laughs> Pregnant pause. In the words of one of the greatest poets of our society and my namesake, last name, Bob Dylan says, no matter what you do, you're going to have to serve somebody. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let me try that again. You're going to have to serve somebody. Here's the thing. Jesus calls the disciples to be servants. He says, the first will be last and the servant of all. And I believe that Scripture points us, not just Bob, but Scripture points us to the idea that you are, in fact, no matter what you do, you will be a servant of somebody of something. You know, humans are not created to be masters. We are created to be in relationship with God as the only master. We are created to be servants of him. Worship, ministry, these words are words that are related to the idea of being a servant, of offering praise, of offering glory. The word that we use for deacon is the word that is used for servant here. The deacons were you know, essentially the first appointed people from the church who were there to serve the needs of the church and serve God. God has created humanity to serve him, to be in relationship with him as below him, in a love relationship, giving to him, praising him, offering to him. And when we do this, there can be and will be fulfillment. <clears throat> but humanity screwed it up. We decided we didn't want to do that. And I'm not just talking about Adam and Eve. I'm talking about all of us at some point in our life go, yeah, no thanks. When humanity decided to not be in proper relationship with God, to not serve God, to not look to him, worship him, and glorify him, when we decided to figure things out for ourselves, then all of a sudden the whole balance of nature, the whole cosmos, got a little bit twisted. Because everything is connected. You know, a butterfly flaps its wings in India, and there's a hurricane here, that sort of idea. Adam and Eve decide that they are going to determine right and wrong for themselves, that they are not going to listen to what God told them to do, 
and all of creation gets distorted. And all of a sudden, in that crack in the foundation of this earth, comes rushing in the gods and the demigods and the false gods and the idols and the things that want you to serve them. We can serve our own selfish desires. We can serve, you know, if, if you want to get old school, you can serve Baal. You can serve Astaroth. You can serve the gods of the Old Testament who are always fighting for the attention of the Israelites. You can serve fame. You can serve money. But you're going to have to serve somebody. The fact of the matter is, when we make choices, when we make decisions, when we walk through our life, every single action that we partake in is offering service to something or somebody because we were created not as masters, but as servants. So the decision we have to make is where, who we want to serve. Because every single one of those masters has a line and is going somewhere and is doing something. And whether you realize you're in that line or not, if you get in that line and walk behind that master, you're going to end up where they are. You're going to do what they do. If you choose to serve yourself, you're just going to keep walking in a circle of your own self-aggrandizement. You know, I, I like to think of it in this way. In a sense, it's like a dead-end job. Some people uh, get jobs that they know there's oppor no opportunities for advancement and they're not going to go anywhere and nothing's ever going to get any better. Uh, and they just have to take that job, and then all of a sudden, 20 years later, they're in the exact same position doing the exact same thing. When you serve yourself, it's kind of like that. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere good, at least. So you've got to choose. You've got to realize that who you choose to serve also influences what you're going to do and where you're going to go. And the path that Jesus opens for us, if we walk behind him, is a path that, yes, goes to sacrifice, goes to submission, goes to ultimate service, is called to be the servant of all, goes even in Jesus' case, and in our case, we have to pass through the waters of death, and Jesus breaks away out of the grave on into Beyond the Blue, am I quoting that right? From the song earlier, if you're here. Let's be realistic. Knowing who or what you are serving is another one of those things that's a lot easier said than done. I can't just go... I think that I am serving money today. Some people perhaps make that choice. 
So it feels a little awkward to wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to serve money again today. It's usually not that obvious, although sometimes just short of that. Or here's one. I'm going to serve my country. That's what my life is about. I'm going to serve my country. That one's maybe a little more obvious. People do, in fact, say that. They choose into that. It comes with an understanding of lining up in a certain way, doing certain things, and getting to a certain place like anything else does. Because in many ways, serving the, the government, any government, competes for the very same affections that God is asking us for. If we choose to make a government our master, if we choose to make money our master, if we choose to make ourselves our master, they're competing with God. But it's easier said than done to figure out, in most cases, who you're serving and therefore where you're going. So let me offer some thoughts on how to figure that out that have been helpful to me and I hope will continue to be helpful to me because this is an ongoing engagement and struggle and work to get to it. Every single choice that you make on any given day, over the course of a week, over the course of a month, over the course of five minutes, every single choice that you make is, in fact, determining who you are calling your master. And with every single choice that we make, we have an opportunity to analyze that choice, to figure out what's going on. There are three questions that I think we can ask of every choice we make. Why am I doing this? What do I think it's accomplishing? And of course, what or who is it primarily serving? What is this accomplishing, and who is it accomplishing it for? Those three questions, I think they're really important again. Why am I making this choice the way I'm making it? What is it accomplishing, and who is it accomplishing that for? Now, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to be this analytical about your own choices, but because of the fact that you make so many choices all the time, you could literally drive yourself just crazy going or, or become completely just stuck because you can never act on anything because every single thing you do, why did I take that step? Why am I wandering around the stage? Who's it for? What's it serving? What am I doing? Why is this water here? Why am I drinking it? You could do that. At some point in time, you just got to go with the flow. <laughs> no, you've got to live. You've got to be able to live, right? So I want to encourage you to do something, and I'm serious about this. I really think it would be beneficial if every single person in the room did this. Pick three decisions every day. At the end of your day, Keep a little, little notepad, pocket notepad. You can get them for a dollar. At the end of your day, when you're going to bed or at the beginning of the next day, 
write down the three biggest decisions you made of the previous day and ask yourself those three questions. Remember those questions? Why am I doing this or why did I do this? What did it accomplish? And who is it primarily serving? I think it might be an enlightening experience to try this, to see what line we're ending up in. And also, keep in mind that perhaps you want your biggest decision of your day is a decision to not do something. That might happen in there too. Now, I, I promise you that as you do this, you're not going to be like, week, I got 21 decisions. Oh, crap, all 21 of them, you know, are serving, uh, I don't know, uh, Susan down the block. Jeez. <laughs> Chances are some are going to serve this and some are going to serve that. and some are, But all of a sudden you can have a perspective for analyzing what you're doing and why you're doing it. I was coming up with the most, like, just kind of funny names. I spoke at a church camp. It's not funny. It's very basic, but maybe just the way I say it. I spoke at a church camp like a month ago, and Bobby was the big guy. I talked about Bobby all the time. Bobby was real selfish with his time. He called it Bobby time. So Bobby and Susan maybe are an item. I don't know. Somewhere in my subconscious. Now, when you get done with this exercise... If you look at it and you are happy with the line you're in, keep it up. Good for you. If you find yourself, again, if you see Jesus as the greatest, which I think a lot of us here probably do, and you want to be great in the sense that he wants you to be in, and of course the line that you would want to be in is, his, is in his line. But um, if you find yourself in that line and you're stoked on it, good for you. Getting back. Think about something. If you are trying to get your friend Bobby to climb up a building, just, just a simple building, you know, eight foot to the, to the eaves sort of thing, he wants to get up there. Bobby's not been working out. He's got a little weight on him. Susan's trying to work on that. Got him on a routine. He's eating right, all organic, local. Um, how's it going to be easier to get him up there? Are you going to want to get up there and put your hand down and lift him up, pull him up? Or is it going to be easier to put your hands down and let him stand on them and lift him that way? It's easier to push each other up than to try to pull if we're even turned around to pull anyways. Usually we're like, I want to be up here. What's going on up here? I want to know. Jesus, Jesus, say something so I can tell the other guys you said it to me first. Getting back. Now, this is the sermon of easier said than done. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we become servants? What does he say? 
servant of all. Not the servant of your friends, not the servant of other Christians, not the servant of handsome or beautiful people. The servant of all. To help all get in that line and let them go in front of you and push them in front of you and help them get closer and closer to Jesus, even to your detriment. It's a struggle. It's hard. It's hard to figure out how to do it, and it's hard to stay in the back of the line. But if you decide to struggle to do this, let me suggest to you a few challenges and a few things that we can remember to help us do it. See, if it seems impossible to you to serve everyone, to be the servant of all, then remember, you are created to serve and worship God. Jesus has correlated himself in this passage with the little children. Jesus has correlated himself with the poor, with the hungry, with the naked. All these people and serving them are ways to serve God. But our primary responsibility cannot be to people. It needs to be to God. And the way that we serve people can be in accordance with what God's desire is. And the primary focus being serving God. So obviously, none of us here have infinite time or infinite energy. So the focus is to learn how to pray in each situation you find yourself in, in small ways sometimes, how do I serve God in this situation? Because that's what's going to serve that person. Perhaps that's helpful to you. I don't have all the answers, but I'm, some things I've thought about that I think could be helpful to us. If you're like me, and you see those people on a stage, or you see that person who's over you at work, or you see that you know, athlete or, or famous person, actor or musician, or whatever the case may be, and you find yourself in a situation where you're going, uh, God is calling me to be the last. God is calling me to be the servant, but I want that. I will never at any point minimize the struggle and potential confusion of that, but I will say this. Being a servant is not about your position in this world. There can be a CEO of a company who is the greatest servant you've ever met, and there can be a janitor who is the biggest ass you've ever met. Most prideful, pretentious, mean-spirited, self-focused, not going to help anybody it's not about position. It's about our heart. It's about our intention. It's about finding opportunities wherever we are, with whatever influence God has given us, with whatever resources God has given us. If you find yourself in the military, if you are in the military, you can choose to make God your master there and serve him before you serve your country. If you have lots of money, you can find ways to serve God there in that position that's high in this world to serve and make God your master instead of that thing. Because you've got to serve somebody. I like Jesus. 
If you're worried when you're serving people, if you've tried this and you're worried that you're enabling people and helping their behavior just continue to be negative because you're just giving and giving and giving and they never seem to change or be able to grow or they don't seem to be getting closer to Jesus, I want to encourage you that service is a lot like love. It's not necessarily about what a person wants. It's about what's best for them. It's about what is going to draw them closer to Jesus. So sometimes, you know, let me coin the phrase or whatever. Maybe I should write a book on tough service. Probably not. It wouldn't sell. A service intervention or something. I don't know. Don't think that service means just kind of blind giving. It's choosing the best for that person. It's choosing to help them move forward in that line and help them stay in that line behind Jesus, which will also lead them to servanthood. And you guys will be fighting and arguing about who gets to be in back and who, has to, you know, get, who gets to wash the pots and pans after a big meal. If this message seemed pointless to you, I got that. Or I'm not worried about that. I'm just going to let it figure itself out. If this seemed pointless to you, why are we even talking about this? And let me suggest to you that if you're doing great in your spiritual life, if you can't remember the last time you sinned, if you're walking with Jesus, if you're, if you're active in his grace and you're feeling good and you're like, I'm not going to worry about that, then remember this. The word for the law Torah means to hit the mark in Hebrew. The word for sin in Hebrew means to miss the mark. To hit the mark is what one should be expected to do. You're not special. You're not great. You're not better than anybody else. If you're doing wonderful in your spiritual life, you're just doing what God wants you to do. And hallelujah but you're no greater than anybody else. And no one else is greater than you because of that. Does that make sense? That's just what God wants from us. It's just what he expects from us. And it's good, but it doesn't make you any special guy. And finally, if, which is the case for me most of the time, and perhaps is the case for you, if you're having trouble just figuring out how to do this service thing, the basics of it, how to get started on it, I want to encourage you, it's pretty easy. Just pick something that someone you love absolutely hates to do and do it all the time. That, just to be clear, I'm not saying that if uh, your wife or husband hates like getting poked, you should do that. I didn't, could, there could have been some confusion there. If it's the pots and pans, if it's taking out the garbage, if it's uh, changing the diapers, if it's a a roommate, uh, you know, a neighbor, uh, a a spouse, a mother, father, sometimes the people who are closest to us are the people who are hardest to serve. Find something that they absolutely hate that you probably hate too, and just do it. And don't don't look for um, any sort of recognition. Don't be like, I'm going to do this in order that uh, my wife would uh, kiss me more often or, or, something, or my neighbor would return the favor in some other way, something that I hate. Because we got to remember, as we try to do this, 
as we try to pick things uh, that, that could be things that we could serve other people with, that there's a danger in it, isn't there? There's a danger that I'll go, okay, I'm going to always take out the trash because they hate to do that. Then you've got to ask yourself those three questions. Why am I doing this? What's it accomplishing? And who is it serving primarily? Because as you struggle to be the servant of all, and as you're trying to do the right thing, I wonder if a lot of the time you don't ask yourself those questions and go, I'm doing this because it makes me feel better, and it's serving me primarily, and it's accomplishing my own pride and getting the garbage out. This isn't about position. It's not about even action primarily. It's about a status of heart and intention. God's funny like that. And it's a challenge. But whatever challenge comes up, as you seek this path, remember that if you are in Jesus' line, the path may be difficult to the point of seeming impossibility. But you will get to go with him wherever he goes. And that is worth the struggle. Amen? Um, I'm going to invite my wife up to uh, do some other stuff. I won't. I won't. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I won't give it away. Hi. Um, I think that with everything that Joshua is saying, and all this stuff that is really difficult and is so hard to check our own emotions and our own motives and, and, you know, not only to get on a path where we're following Jesus and what he wants to lead us to, but to follow Jesus consistently and to stay on that path all the time. I think so often it's like, I'm on the path, I'm on the path, and oops, I'm off the path. And like, I think that God knowing that about us and knowing that um, that that's going to be the case our entire life and our entire walk with him, um, I think also teaches us about him because I think there's things in this world that show us his mercy, Um, people that have come before us and written beautiful songs and poems and made artwork and done things that when we look at go, oh yeah, everyone else has this problem too and God knows this and wants to reconcile me to him. Um, this morning, Scum's Morning Church um, does a light liturgy. And so there are some written prayers and some um, things that are kind of set up beforehand. And we read a prayer this morning that really encouraged me and um, really reminded me that God is big enough to know our strengths and our weaknesses and that we are never going to be able to stay on this path, but he's willing to put people in this world that will help us to do that and help us to do that well. Um, so if you'd all join me, we're going to do a corporate prayer um, the words that are bolded, I'd love for you to join me on. I will read everything through, and then um, for each of the bolded words, if you guys would join me, that would be great. Most holy and merciful God, we confess to you and to one another and before the whole company of heaven that we have sinned by our fault, by our own fault in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. 
From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I, de I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Restore us, O God, and let your mercy be made manifest in us. Hear us, O God, for your mercy is great. Um, and I had the opportunity, because it's printed out, to read through that a couple times um, through the course of the day and, and realize that if you read through it, it's every human emotion that, at least for me, that I would, would cause me to, to get off of that path and to follow my own motives and my own desires. Um, I think it's just so encouraging to know that this isn't just me, this isn't just you, this is, you know, all of Christendom that has struggled with these things and will struggle with these things. Um, and our God is big enough to put someone on this earth before us that could write that and could put that out there. Um, and God gives us other ways, you know. The night before Christ's uh, death on the cross, he encouraged his disciples to break bread with him and told us um, in order to participate in his death and resurrection to um, remember him when we have bread and wine, to, um, to make sure that we are in relationship with him by physical actions as well as our spiritual and emotional things, to have... Um, things in our life that we can physically do to remember who he is. Um, so if you'll pray with me, we're going to serve communion in just a moment. Um, I'm going to pray for uh, communion before. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, um, for your desire to serve and sacrifice, that we would be able to be with you, that we'd be able to know you and see all the life that you have to offer us, that you would want such incredible things for us in relationship with you, that it wouldn't be a circular life where we serve ourselves, but an adventure and a, and a path that you want to take us on. Let communion be that for us, a reminder of all that you have and all that you want to give us. Um, I ask for your blessing upon it, that it would be a nourishment to our souls more than just our bodies. Um, in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. <clears throat>